Ephesians chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 to 13. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. Lord, as we come to your word now, we ask that you might reveal yourself to us. Lord Jesus Christ, you were crucified, you were buried. On the third day you rose, you ascended into heaven, and now you sit at the Father's right hand. Lord, you are alive, you are real. And so we pray that you, the living Christ, might dwell among us now by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you might sit in the pew next to us, that you might stand on the platform next to me. Christ, that your Spirit here would empower us and enable us to apprehend you and to love you more. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has questions about Christianity, who has questions about the church, Lord, perhaps they're just sticking their toe back into the church after being burnt sometime. God, I pray that you, through the power of your Spirit, would reveal Christ to them. Not Jeremy, not the church, but Christ. And that as they see the real and living Christ in the, the mysterious way that you work through your spirit, that their hearts would be melted and that those who question would have their answer, quest, answers to their questions because they come face to face with the living God in this very moment. And that's what we're praying for, God. We pray that you'd meet with us and speak to us. We ask this all in the name of the living Christ. Amen. In uh, 1994... Uh, there were missionaries who went out from our church and, and were living in uh, southeastern Africa in the country of Mozambique. Uh, some of you know them, Stuart and Cindy Foster. Uh, they went to Mozambique to minister among the people who spoke Lomwe. Uh, Lomwe is a language spoken by about uh, two million people in southeastern Africa. And they have churches in uh, this people group and there are Christians, but they have no Bible. And so the Fosters went to do uh, Christian work, but also to translate the Bible into the Lomwe language. And so they went 
to southeastern Africa. They didn't stay in a city. They went out into the village areas, out into the rural countryside, and they began to, to do their ministry there. Well, in 1994, they, they had three children, and their oldest daughter, those of you who, who know uh, the story, their oldest daughter, Belva, uh, contracted uh, cerebral malaria, which is a particularly virulent and uh, lethal form of malaria. And the day after her seventh birthday, she succumbed to malaria and she died. And uh, many of you remember that. I, I was just, just starting here as a member of the church. I wasn't a pastor at the time. And I remember uh, the Fosters coming and hearing their story. I'd never met them before, but you know, they came back and they told the story of their, their oldest daughter dying of malaria over there. And, and it, you know, it was amazing and it blew me away. And you know, it doesn't take long for the thought to arise in your mind. If you had stayed in America and not ever gone to the mission field, your oldest daughter would not have contracted cerebral malaria here in the States. And even if she did by some freak occurrence, we have good medicine here and we have great medical care. You know, I don't understand the ways of God sometimes. I really don't. I mean, why would that happen? It's like, look, God, this isn't some you know, bad person out there who's, who's uh, spurning your name. This is a person who's sacrificing for you. This is the family that's going to a developing nation. They got there. They lived through a civil war when they got there. And this is what they get. They lose their oldest daughter to a disease. I mean, don't you think you could give them a little backup? And so it's difficult to understand how God works in those times. Um, but, of course, we know God's ways are not our ways. God's wisdom is not our wisdom. Because it's not just that sometimes God allows his servants to suffer, but rather it's more than that. It's that God advances missions specifically through the sufferings and sacrifices of his people that God gains ground in global missions around the world. He is winning a people to himself from every tribe and tongue and language and nation, specifically through the sacrifices and setbacks of his people. That God is gaining victory in global missions by the apparent defeat of his saints. That that's his strategy in his great wisdom that, that is so beyond my wisdom. And so as we look at our text today, this is, I, I think, the underlying principle behind what Paul is saying to us. In chapter 3, verse 13, we're going to look at one verse this morning. We conclude this little section of chapter 3. Paul is sort of wrapping up his thoughts to the Ephesians. And he says in verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Don't be despairing because I'm suffering, because it's through sufferings, it's through setbacks, that God is winning glory for himself. Because remember, when Paul wrote this, he was suffering. Uh, he was in prison when he wrote this. This was probably during his Roman imprisonment. We're not sure. He was in prison several times. But this was most likely during his Roman incarceration. He was waiting to stand trial before Caesar himself. Uh, Paul was a Roman citizen, and so he had the right to appeal to Caesar. And so he was arrested, he appealed to Caesar, and he went to Rome. So probably this is like 60 to 62 A.D., somewhere in that time frame. And in fact, look at chapter 3, verse 1. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Or again, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
So, you know, when you think of Paul writing this letter, I, I don't know, I, maybe you don't think of those things. I try to imagine these, these things. It's, it's just the fallout from watching so many movies. I try to make a movie out of everything in my head. And, and I try to imagine Paul writing this letter, okay? And, and, and when you do that, don't picture him in some secluded retreat in Vermont on a beautiful mountainside, you know, puffing on a pipe and just kind of being inspired by his surroundings to write this magnificent letter. You know, that's not the picture. The picture is a guy hunched over a little table with a candle with chains on his wrists and two armed guards beside him in a little room somewhere in the belly of, of the great metropolis of Rome awaiting trial before Caesar. I mean, that's the picture. Th those are the cheery, inspiring surroundings in which Paul found himself. And yet, in spite of that, Paul says, hey, don't freak out. Yeah, I've been incarcerated now for maybe three, maybe it's four years at that point. Don't worry, though. This is how God is gaining glory for you. This is how God is gaining glory. It's through things like this, through my sufferings. Now, Paul was a man familiar with sufferings. In fact, take out your sermon notes for a minute. This little insert in your bulletin. And, and look at how Paul suffered for the gospel. Look on the second page. There's a, a lengthy section there from 2 Corinthians. I think there are four lists in Paul's epistles where he lists his sufferings for the gospel. And this is one of the, the more lengthy ones. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul lists his sufferings. He says, I've worked much harder than some false apostles who are, who are competing with him. He says, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, you know, with rocks. Um, and three times I was shipwrecked. <laughs> Just let's be clear. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So like... So why are you doing this, Paul? <laughs> why did you willingly, and why do you willingly keep doing this kind of ministry? And I'm sure there are many answers to that question, but part of it has to be Paul's understanding that it's specifically through this catalog of sufferings that God is making advances in the world. Why was Paul one of the great apostles of the faith? Because he was one of the great sufferers for the faith. It's through suffering, setback, and sacrifice that in his wisdom, God is choosing, choosing to advance his glory around the world. <clears throat> in fact, this is what Christ taught us. Paul was probably just appealing to the teachings of Christ. Uh, look there on the sermon notes again. I have some texts. We could have probably listed more. Seth read a different one that's even not listed here. Uh, uh, in which Christ teaches that sufferings necessarily accompany the gospel. And that it's through sufferings that the gospel is advanced. Look at uh, the bottom, Mark chapter 13. Jesus said to his disciples, you must be on guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will 
stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Now, isn't that interesting? He's like, you're going to suffer, you're going to stand before kings, and the gospel will be preached. So he connects world missions specifically to the certainty of the suffering and sacrifices of the missionaries. Or uh, look at the next page at the top. John 15, Jesus says, Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And so Paul understood this in his ministry. He understood that it was part and parcel of being a missionary is that you would suffer and face setbacks for the name of Christ. Uh, look, just, just one more quote, and we'll move on here. The next quote down on page 3, Acts 14. They, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And get this quote. We must go through many hardships. Or you could translate that word tribulations or persecutions. Same word as in Ephesians. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. It's not just that sometimes Christians suffer. It's that the, the way to heaven is narrow and rocky and difficult. And if you want to stand up for the name of Christ, you're going to face some resistance, some sacrifices and suffering in this life. It's how missions gets done. And so Paul, uh, he sees his sufferings as a badge of his Christianity. Now look back at our text. Look at Ephesians 3.1. <clears throat> For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of who? Christ Jesus. Like, whoa, 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 I thought you were a prisoner of Rome. Well, yeah, yeah, but I'm really the prisoner of Christ. You see, my sufferings are for Christ. Or look at chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So, in other words, he kind of uses his sufferings as credentials. Look, I'll tell you why you should listen to me, because I'm a prisoner for the Lord, because I'm suffering. The suffering shouldn't make you uh, be discouraged. The suffering should validate my ministry. This is the credentials I have, that I'm in prison. See, that's why I know that what I'm saying is something you should listen to. Because Paul understood that God is advancing world missions through the sufferings and sacrifices of his saints. It's true in those times. It's been true throughout the course of church history. That the periods of great advance and um, flourish, uh, flourishing uh, periods in the church's history have been also periods when the church has been persecuted. Uh, that was the case in the first few centuries of the church, up until the fourth century when Constantine became emperor, and at that point Christianity became the official religion of Rome. But up until that point, Christianity was an outlaw religion, and it, it faced persecutions of different intensities at different periods. And so from the time of Christ until Constantine, there were many persecutions of the church. Uh, Christians were thrown in jail. Christians were tortured. Christians lost their heads, literally. Uh, Christians were thrown into the arenas to fight with wild beasts and gladiators. And, and as their blood was spilt in the arenas, the people outside were chanting, you know, down with the atheists, ah, you know, they ordered more popcorn and hot dogs and watched the spectacle as Christians died. <clears throat> Emperor Nero, who was a particularly crazed man, uh, a very sick person, uh, he apparently, according to history, uh, would take Christians put them in shirts that were soaked with wax, put them on poles, and light them on fire to light his parties at night in his gardens. And, and, and yet, in spite of this kind of you know, twisted thing that I could never even imagine, despite of all of those persecutions and tortures, 
The church didn't crumble. Instead, it just spread like a virus. And whenever uh, nations and governments and powers have tried to squelch the church, that's when it just explodes. And, and the, the communist government in China came down upon the Christians in that country. We wonder, is the church dead? And then we go in at the end of last century, we find out there's maybe 60, 70 million Christians in China. Where did they come from? Well, because God makes His church flourish and the gospel flourish whenever there is persecution and, and totalitarianism. That's where God does His best work, it seems. Because the gospel advances through the suffering and sacrifices of His people. It was true at the time of the Reformation. Um, you know, fast forward now, 1,500 years. During the Reformation, uh, the, the pure gospel was rediscovered. We, it was rediscovered that it's through faith in Christ alone that a person is saved. Not through indulgences and, and pilgrimages and the relics of the saints and, and sacraments. That's not how a person gets saved. It's through faith alone in Christ. And, and so this gospel was preached, and yet th those who preached the gospel were persecuted. People were burned at the stake like John Huss and John Hooper and Roland Taylor and uh, Jerome of Prague and the list goes on. Under that, that particularly wicked woman, Bloody Mary, uh, hundreds, literally hundreds of people were burned for the sake of the gospel. And England smoldered with their bodies. And yet, in spite of those intense persecutions, what happened? the gospel spread, and the Reformation was one of the greatest periods of revival in all of church history. Because God's mission advances through the sufferings and setbacks and sacrifices of his people. I was reading an article, just uh, someone gave it to me last week, sort of providentially, and I read it and I was like, oh, this is exactly what the text is about. It's by a guy named J. Lee Grady. He's the uh, editor for Charisma Magazine. Uh, and, and he was talking about a recent mission trip he took to Nigeria. And he went to Nigeria and was going to go there to encourage the saints. He gets to Nigeria, first thing he finds out, his luggage is lost. So the whole time he's in Nigeria, he has none of the things he brought with him. He says, so there I was in a hot, sweaty country with no deodorant or cologne, one pair of underwear, no contact lens solution, and none of my trendy American clothes. When I arrived at the conference I was attending, my host gave me some African outfits. He puts in parentheses, colorful pajamas is a better way to describe them, <laughs> along with a pair of sandals. He says, I became an African for a week, eating their food, goat, rice, and fried plantains, enduring daily power outages, and sitting in meeting halls that had no air conditioning. But before the week was over, I had forgotten how badly I was, quote-unquote, suffering. In fact, I didn't care if I ever saw my suitcase again. It wasn't really the missing luggage or the rust-colored bathwater that made such an impact on me. It was the brave people I met, the true heroes of the faith, who showed me that the selflessness of New Testament Christianity is still alive in the 21st century. One man named Abu told me that he was beaten by Islamic radicals and left for dead near a campus in northern Nigeria where an angry mob burned uh, once as many as 300 churches in one weekend. He was revived after some Christians prayed for him. So he went back to the same spot where he had been preaching and began another sermon, only to be chased out of town by a gang of Muslims wielding machetes. Today he sneaks into Nigeria to preach because he is on a Muslim hit list. Shaba, another hero of the faith, told me that members of his family tried to kill him last year because he was winning Muslims to Christ. 
He knew a pastor in the city of Kano who was beheaded a few years ago. But he says he must stay in the north and continue to share his faith in spite of the risks. He said, we need to go back to the book of Acts and stop thinking of ourselves. Like, wow. <laughs> it's still going on. In Nigeria, God is winning advances for the gospel there, not through some fancy program, but through the sufferings and sacrifices that his people are making. And that's how God does it. When we sacrifice and suffer for Christ, in our weakness is when God's strength gets flexed and exercised in the world. And doesn't it make sense? Because wasn't that the pattern of Christ? Didn't Christ succeed through suffering and loss? If you were to think about Jesus' ministry in the Gospels, the story of Jesus, and if you were to uh, sort of graph his ministry, I believe it would be a graph with two lines, and both of the lines would go like this in the graph. One line would be the line of his success in ministry. And, and by success, I mean people coming to him, people believing, people being healed. And it, it, at the beginning of his ministry, no one heard about him. But, you know, more and more people heard about him. He did more miracles. He preached to more people. Till by the end of his ministry, he's going in on Holy Week and the people are shouting, Hosanna, the son of David. I mean, his, his success in ministry is going like this. But there's another line that's exactly parallel, and it's the persecution he faced during his ministry. And when he first started his ministry, he would just go into a synagogue and some people would scratch their beards and say, you know, who, who is this guy? And it, and it was kind of sporadic. But by the end of his ministry, when he's riding into Jerusalem during Holy Week, there are people plotting a full-on conspiracy. And so his, his ministry success is parallel to his suffering until it finally climaxed where? When does it climax? The cross. And at the cross... We see the greatest moment of success in ministry coupled with the greatest moment of suffering and sacrifice. Because at the cross, I mean, well, the cross is it. <laughs> the cross is salvation. That's the greatest moment in the history of humanity was when Christ hung on that cross. Because at that moment, salvation was secured for anyone who would believe in Christ. So that anyone here, even this morning, no matter who you are, no matter what things you've done in your life, no matter how far you've strayed from God, if you will come and put your faith in Christ at this very moment, you will be saved. You will be saved. Because it was secured at the cross. The greatest victory, but it was also, of course, the greatest defeat. The Son of God was crucified and spat upon and, and suffered. I mean, that's the greatest. But that's how God works. He won the greatest victory ever in missions, ever for human history, through the greatest, most shameful defeat of His only begotten Son. This is the ways of God. And so, if I'm going to bear the name of Christ, and if I'm going to speak the message of Christ, should I be so surprised if I have to walk in the footsteps of Christ? That, that his, I'm going to get a different way than His way? I'm a Christian I bear his name. I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. So I need to walk in his footsteps and, and recognize that God is advancing the glory of Christ in missions through the apparent defeat, suffering, setbacks, and sacrifices of the saints. That's how he does it. So, if that's the case, don't freak out when you suffer for Christ. <laughs> don't, don't go, ah, what's happening to me? Well, you're following Christ. That's what's happening to you. I shouldn't freak out either when I have to make sacrifices. Um, 
Go to Paul says again in Ephesians 3.13. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Don't throw up your hands and say, oh, what have I done? Oh, this is tough. I didn't know it was going to be this tough. Well, yeah, but this is how God is winning the victory at the very moment through the things you're doing for Him. And we need to be encouraged. Some of you teach a Sunday school class to little kids or you lead a Bible study, or you um, uh, teach uh, some children's program, or, or wherever you serve, and, and you know that there's always those nights where you're like, oh, got Bible study tomorrow. Got to clean the house. Oh, got Sunday school tomorrow. Got to get that lesson ready. It's going to take about two hours to do this, and I'm tired, and it's the night before, and I wish I could just watch TV. I like to watch Fox and see how the war's going, and you know, I just, I just want to veg out. I just like, can, can I just have a little me time, you know? I would really like some me time. And, and you go, oh. You know, when I signed up for this, I was all excited and I was all idealistic. But now it's March, and, and I'm tired of teaching this Bible study. I'm tired of having to clean my house on Wednesday nights, getting ready for the Bible study in my home. And, and you know, it's a little sacrifice, but hey, sacrifice is sacrifice. Don't you realize that at that moment, that's how God is using you to gain glory for himself. And every hour you spend in preparation for that class or whatever it is that you're going to lead, that you're not spending, you know, doing whatever you want to do with your free time, of which we have very little these days, and every time you spend those, those moments preparing, God is using your sacrifices, however small, to win glory for himself in the lives of those children or of that Bible study group or whoever it is that God's using you to minister to. So don't be discouraged. Sacrifice gladly for the name of Christ. Or maybe um, uh, you finally let the cat out of the bag in your office and people found out that you're a Christian. And, and now things have suddenly changed in the office and people kind of they just act a little different around you. They sort of leave you out of certain conversations. They don't tell certain jokes around you. And, you know, oh, you know you're the religious guy. And they, they, they sort of poke fun at you. They don't know what to do with you. And then there's one guy in particular who's really hostile toward you now. Before, he, he was just kind of distant, but now he's really hostile, and, and he, he really mocks you because of your faith. And, and so instead of just being a sort of a normal work environment that you used to be able to move in and out of rather uh, seamlessly, now you go into this place, and there's this kind of tension in the air. And it just feels weird, and you go, oh, why did I do this? Now it's just weird. I can't enjoy work the same way anymore. And then you get passed over for a promotion, and you know that the guy who doesn't like you when he found out you're a Christian is close to the boss, and then you kind of start getting paranoid. Did he talk to him? Did he exert pressure on him? What's going on? Oh, I shouldn't have done this at all. Why did I tell him I was a Christian? Don't despair. Because God is using whatever sufferings you may be enduring for the name of Christ, whatever slander you may be enduring for the name of Christ, God is using that very slander and that very suffering to win glory for His name and for you and for Christ. Or maybe you decide to give to missions um, and you fill out one of those little cards and you say, okay, this year I'm going to give $10 a week to missions. I'm going to give $500 this year to missions. And then, you know, uh, it comes fall and the Patriots are on. You're like, I would really like that big screen TV. <laughs> Why did I pledge that $500 to missions? You know, or, or maybe things just get tight in the economy and you go, oh, if I just had that extra $10 a week, that would even help. Don't despair because of your sacrifices. Because God is using even financial sacrifices to gain glory for himself. 
God is advancing global missions through the sacrifices of his people. He's calling us to walk in the way of the cross. We are the people of the cross. And our ministry is done after the model of the ministry of Christ. And so the Fosters, you know, they lost their, their daughter and they came back here to the States. And some of you here at that time, you remember probably talking to them. And they, I remember them in our Sunday school class sort of sharing their story. Uh, and then after the Fosters were here in the States for a while, they did something amazing. They went back to Mozambique, to the same village. And, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, just, maybe it's just sort of my, my human side speaking, but I would think, you know, I, God, I've done my part. <laughs> you know, let someone else pick up the baton and carry it over there, okay? I've done my part. I've sacrificed. Let someone else go. Uh, but they went back to Mozambique. You know who was most surprised that they went back? The Africans. The Africans were like, what? We thought you were going to lose, you know, you lost your daughter and you're just going to go back to your life in America. I mean, what are you doing back here? They were very surprised that they were back here. And in fact, you know what I'm told? You know what the Africans said to them? Get this. The Africans said to them, now you are one of us. Because how many African families have lost someone, you know, in, a, in any developing nation? I mean, people lose ki- children in developing nations. It's, it's common. <clears throat> he said, now you're one of us. That's amazing. And so now the Fosters are carrying on, even today, they're still translating the Bible. I think they're working on 1 Samuel right now. I got a little email just this week. They're still laboring over there with their two remaining children. But they're doing it with a new credibility and a new integrity. They're not just preaching about Christ. They are living Christ. And when they stand up and say, we love you with the love of Christ, it means something totally different now. Because God has used the loss of that child for the success of His glory. Why does He do it that way? I don't know. His wisdom is great. But I'm just telling you, that's how He does it. So let's not be discouraged by setbacks and sufferings that we may experience as Christians. Let us joyfully even embrace them, knowing that God is going to use our weakest moments for Christ as the point where He's going to flex His power and exercise the Gospel around the world. As we come to communion, um, we're celebrating the fact that God is so great and awesome that He saves us through the sacrifice of His Son. That it was through the cross of Calvary that God won the victory. And so we, we eat these elements. Uh, perhaps you've never been to a communion service. We have a little cup that symbolizes the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. We have a little piece of bread that symbolizes the body of Christ that was broken. And as we share in communion, what we're doing is we're remembering, celebrating Christ's crucifixion for us. We're calling out to Christ. It's not just an event in the past, though. It's also an event in the present. We are, we're communing with Christ. Christ is serving the meal to you. He's asking you to, to uh, be strengthened as you believe in Him. And we're also looking to the future, to the day when Christ will return. So the, the communion table spans into the past as we remember what Christ did. The present as Christ ministers to us. Into the future as we remember that He's coming again.